ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Curiosity is really important for people to adapt and change as they move from job to job and you're going to come up with better ideas. Curiosity is something that can come and go. Curiosity is often seen as an intellectual pursuit. It can fuel humility. But there's also this other form of curiosity that's not intellectual, that's heart-centered. I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, follow me down the rabbit hole as I get curiouser and curiouser. Together we'll learn why curiosity is so important, why so few of us are actually curious at work, and what we can do about it. But first, I'd like you to meet Spencer Harrison. I'm a professor of organisational behaviour at INSEAD in France. Spencer, take me back to your high school physics class. How did your teacher, Mr Jackson, capture your curiosity? Mr. Jackson was an amazing physics teacher, and he had this voice that sort of sounded like this, Harrison, what are you doing? So he sort of had this like growly way of talking that would immediately wake you up. But he would, he would teach you a theory, and then he would ask this question. He'd say, now, how do we know this works? You always say, blow it up or light it on fire. Right. So you say, blow it up, Mr. Jackson. He's like, that's right. And then he would pull out some, you know, hydrogen balloons and we would set up a rig and we would blow something up and calculate. And it was just an amazing way to learn because you were sort of constantly looking at theory and then you were putting it into practice in a way that made it fun and brought it to life. It might have added a little bit of danger, but it it certainly was one of the most memorable learning experiences in my life. And what did that bring out in you? Well, for me, it made learning fun. You know, every day we knew that we were going to have fun in that class and be a little bit irreverent. But I also think what was amazing about it is you knew that you were gaining a deep intuition about how science worked and how the world around you operated. And what was also really fun about it is it made that sense of interest and curiosity contagious among all the other students. Everybody talked about Mr. Jackson's class. And I always have this regret that if I had been smarter, I would have actually taken less good notes about the physics. And I would have just been writing down the silly things happening in the class and turned that into a screenplay for television, you know, and then we'd be having a completely different conversation right now. But that, that's, a, that's a different story for a different timeline. And Spencer, is curiosity a state or a trait? So it's both. People can have higher or lower predispositions for being curious. So we could call that the trait. But what's interesting about traits, and this is true of most personality traits, whether you think about yourself as being introverted or agreeable or narcissistic, is that those traits get activated when we're in certain situations. And so then all of a sudden you're experiencing a state which is going to make it higher or lower. Now, what's really exciting about that from a statistical perspective then is that because we can see the difference between what is your baseline level and then how does that get excited when you're in these situations, we can actually calculate how much of this is based on a state and how much of this is based on sort of your genetically predisposed level that you're comfortable at. And what's really fun about some traits versus others, and curiosity is one of these, is that curiosity seems to be especially 
malleable or responsive to situations. In fact, in a lot of my studies, we see that above 50% of somebody's predictive curiosity is not based on, it's based on the situations that they're a part of. And what that means then is that you can design elements of your life and your work to enable you to be more and more curious. So when I'm talking with business leaders about curiosity, I'm usually talking to them about it as a skill. Um, and, and the argument is you need to design situations that can help excite your curiosity, stimulate it and bring it to life. Why should we bother? How does it help us in our work and careers? So we have now a huge set of evidence from a variety of different scientists looking at this in, in you know, a variety of different methods that suggests that curiosity is extremely good um, for people generally and for businesses specifically. So one of the things that, that I like to talk to executives about when we're talking about curiosity is I say, listen, when we're talking about curiosity, you can think about this personally, like this is just going to help your life, whether that's, um, you know, what sort of questions should I ask on a date or how do I engage with my kids? It's going to help you in your career because almost every um, variable that we look at in terms of career success over time shows that curiosity is really important for people to adapt and change as they move from job to job. And then it's going to help the organization that you're a part of because it means that you're a more adaptive employee and you're going to come up with better ideas. So I'm sort of trying to put out different carrots for people, but I do think it's one of those things where curiosity is designed to break boundaries. So for me to say, oh, it's only going to help you in your job is really missing the point. Like curiosity in one part of your life is going to tend to help you in other parts of your life as well. It's important to talk about what curiosity is because it means different things to different people. That's Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. I am an author and a columnist and company director. There's the emotional curiosity, which is sort of understanding why people do what they do, why you do what you do. Uh, social curiosity, you know, what's that lady over the road doing? <laughs> why is she, you know, seeing all these different people at different hours of the night? And then there's intellectual curiosity. So I'm really interested in intellectual curiosity. And that is this idea of, you know, why is it that things are done the way they are done? How is it we can improve? Why have we always done it this way? You know, it's a really um, applying our intellectual sort of nous to questions that are around us every day. You recently shared a statistic on social media that you said, frankly, scared the shit out of you as a leader. <laughs> what was it? It was a study of 3,000 people. 92% of people said they valued curiosity. No surprises there whatsoever. But there's the rub. Only 24% of people said they actually get to feel and experience curiosity at work. Oh, Now, as a leader, that's terrifying. We all are born curious. You know, people are babies are sticking things up their noses just to see what it feels like. <laughs> Yet we lose curiosity and it's such an important quality for our organisations, us as leaders, uh, us as in employees just enjoying what we do at work and yet we're pretty crap and making sure we build curious cultures. What I find interesting is that 
We have this word curious and most leaders say, you know, we should definitely encourage curiosity in the workplace. But as you're saying, that very scary statistic of very low rates of us actually feeling or being encouraged to feel curious at work. So what's stopping us? Where are our workplaces going wrong? If you ask most people who value curiosity why they're not curious, they'll say, I am so busy at work, I haven't got time to be curious. And so time pressure is actually a really practical thing that comes into play. There's another scary statistic that shows that after you've been in a job, the same job for six months, only six months, you lose 20% of the levels of curiosity you might have had at the first day. Mm. So imagine you've been in a job five years, I'm amazed you're even curious enough to figure out you know, where <laughs> the toilets are. You are just on automatic. Mm. So you can not only be really busy at work, but you've become set in your ways. You've habituated to whatever it is your job is. You just know the quickest way to get things done. It's just easier. There's other reasons too, though. If you work in an environment where you fear looking stupid, So actually asking that question of like, what if we did it this way or why? Why do we do it? Like I know you're saying we've got to do it this way, but why? Those questions are gold because often that's exactly the right question that needs to be asked at the time. But if you're working in an environment that lacks psychological safety or where you don't feel you can speak up, then no one's ever going to ask that question. Yeah, fear is, you know, the ultimate, really, that gets in the way of folks, you know, being curious. This is Scott. Yeah, it's Scott Keone Shigeoka. The way to remember my last name, I put the gay in Shigeoka. Um, <laughs> so just putting that out there. And I am my, I'm the author of Seek, How Curiosity Can Transform Your Life and Change the World. Do I want to get curious about how this employee really feels and working at this organization if what I'm going to hear is negative things or things that I might be afraid of hearing, right? It's the same reason in our personal lives why we might not be getting curious with our romantic partners about conflict, right? The same is true with the conflict that might exist on our own teams. Um, you know, another aspect around fear is, you know, folks might not get curious about what else they want to learn or what else might be on their path of purpose, what other opportunities might be, you know, in store for them that maybe are, you know, more creative or, you know, more connected to their childhood dreams because they're, you know, fearful of, will I be able to make that transition or leap? Like, do I have what it takes? You know, I have a family to support. Will I be able to support them, you know, making these jumps? So their fears, you know, sometimes imagined, but a lot of times it's also real fear um, that gets in the way of our curiosity. One of the things I love about your approach to curiosity is it looks beyond being what we normally think of curiosity is I'm curious for more ideas, more information and things to curiosity around uh, and creating connection. So can you tell us about your sense of deep curiosity, as you call it? Yes. Thanks for asking. <laughs> so, you know, uh, curiosity is often seen as an intellectual pursuit. You know, how do I learn more about uh, my political system? Or how do I learn more about that tree that's at that park? You know, what species it is. And that's really great. That helps us to learn. And it's an important function that we need to grow. But there's also this other form of curiosity that's not intellectual, that's heart-centered. That's about 
how do I really genuinely understand this person that is in front of me? You know, what are they thinking about? What are their hopes and dreams? What are their fears? You know, what is our relationship together? Whether that's a romantic partner, a friend, our children, or, or someone we work with, someone we manage, right? You know, this is someone who is desperately wanting, like any other human, to feel heard. And to feel seen because when you are curious towards someone in this heart-centered way and you're asking them questions, you feel like you matter. You know, you feel like, wow, this person really is interested in my story and what my perspectives are. And in contrast, when someone is incurious about you, like they're turning the other way, they're dismissing you. I don't really care about your story. I don't really care about your perspective. I don't care about how you think we should, you know, solve this work project. I don't really care what you think about the work culture wow, you're, you don't really feel seen, you don't really feel heard, and you don't feel like you matter. So really, at the end of the day, this heart-centered curiosity is about helping people to feel like they really matter, that their stories are valued. So we've heard how curiosity can make us more adaptable and flexible, how it can open us up to new ideas and strengthen our relationships at work. And we've also heard how about a quarter of us actually feel curious at work and that curiosity decreases the longer we've been in the job. So what can we do about it? Let's get some solutions. One of the easiest practices is simply using the word, I'm curious. Spencer Harrison again. So for example, we have data now that shows in pretty convincing ways across a variety of different formats, whether it's virtual interaction or face-to-face interaction, that if I ask you a question, you might respond, it might lead to some sort of an interaction. But if I ask you the exact same question and I just say, I'm asking because I'm curious or I'm just really interested in this topic, that does something magical to that question. So the way to think about it is when we walk around the world, if I ask you a question, I'm sort of treating you like you're a human library and there's books on your shelf and I just wanna borrow those books from your shelf, right? And in business, especially, we sort of, you know, like time is money, knowledge is money, expertise is power, whatever. So the more I'm doing that to people, the more I'm sort of dehumanizing our relationship. It's just like, you know, I need this information from you, Lisa, like give it to me. But if I say, Lisa, I'm asking because I'm curious, what I've now done is I've humanized that interaction. I'm not asking just because I think you know something. It could be that that I do, but I'm asking because I'm saying I'm a human being, I feel curious, and now all of a sudden you see it as, okay, Spencer's like humanizing this interaction, and, and here's the magic thing that happens. So when people are asked questions because somebody's curious versus the exact same question without that description, it leads to the other person liking the interaction more feeling like the person asking for the information is more competent. So I now believe you're better at your job because you told me you were curious and I want to interact with you again in the future. So I've actually begun to develop a little bit of a connection there as well. That's what's amazing about curiosity is we often think, oh no, like that's going to be this like huge new thing and it's going to take all this effort. No, it actually, I mean, it's just a matter of like, you know, can I tell people I'm curious a little bit more, sort of announce that it's there? Because again, like so often in our schooling, it gets beaten out of us that we just feel like that's not an appropriate thing to say. So if, if leaders are sort of walking around and, you know, they just they just try to say once per day, I'm curious, and then they ask a question, 
that's going to have ripple effects because people around them are now going to think, oh, I've just been authorized to be curious as well. And I think what's fun about the, the use of the word authorized is it has this double meaning, right? So one meaning is you are the author, you get to tell your own story. And so if I'm saying I'm curious, I'm telling somebody a micro story that says in this moment, I am the type of person that can be curious. But author also has the same root as authority. So it means I have power. So I'm giving myself power to have this human experience. And both those things happening together, I think, is really powerful. And the more we're, we're telling that story to ourselves, the more likely we are to engender that experience for us and for others around us. And that's the powerful part about leaders and organizations being curious because it's never going to be just about that one person. It's always going to ripple through the organization. And it gets us right back to what we were talking about, about, you know, is curiosity a state or a trait? And I said, well, because it's so conducive to states, it can be thought of as a skill. And that's where leaders have the huge impact on other people's curiosity. Spencer, what's emerging for me is that perhaps judgment is the antithesis of curiosity, or at least a trap. I think you're right. I think that we see that really early on in schooling. If a teacher asks a question and somebody, you know, dares to raise their hand and answer and the answer is wrong, then there's this immediate sense of, ooh, like, that's that's not the game that we're playing here, right? So creating situations where people feel free to be curious is sort of key. And I think what scares leaders in part, and this gets us to this idea of curiophobia, is if you listen to a conversation like ours right now, they might get the sense of what Professor Harrison is saying here is we need to be curious all of the time. And that's actually not what I'm saying. In fact, there's some really interesting research in neuroscience that, that says that we think almost exactly the same thoughts one day as we do the next day. So what that means is we're sort of mentally recreating our same thought worlds day after day. But across these studies, basically what they show is, on average, there's about 3% of your thoughts from day to day are different. So what's amazing then is that when you're thinking about something like, how do I raise my baseline of curiosity or how do I sort of eliminate judgment? It sounds like it's radical, but actually it's very incremental. It's just changing 3%, but that incrementalism is where the radical shifts can happen. So if I do something really simple, like just saying, I'm asking because I'm curious, that can be my 3% for the day. And, and I think that that begins to make the whole world of difference because I'm still comfortable, I'm still operating within sort of boundaries that make me feel okay, but I've just stretched this muscle a little bit, I've strengthened it a little bit, and I can do a little bit more the next day. And again, because you're doing it inside organizations at work, it tends to be seen by other people, it tends to have these ripple effects, and it becomes contagious. You know, you really need to be curious about your own curiosity. Kirsten Ferguson again. And firstly, if you're a leader that fears perhaps you have teams of people who aren't feeling curious, go and ask them. Be curious about why this might have happened. 
go and ask the people you work with, do you know, do you reckon curiosity is part of your role? They're probably going to go, are you kidding me? You know, you asked for this due tomorrow. I haven't got time to be curious. So start being curious about curiosity. But I think you can start asking, well, what if? Just those, that word, what if? What if we did it this way? Or why have we always done it that way? Be a bit of a toddler. You know those toddlers that go, but why? <laughs> but why? And you keep answering, but why? As like, We can be doing the same thing, you know, perhaps not in as irritating <laughs> as a uh, <laughs> prolonged way, but there's, you know, there's a concept called the five whys that came out of Toyota. And it's a very helpful way of thinking, well, let's get down to why we do things. I think you can hire for curiosity. I know Google's very well known for uh, having a whole range of questions when they recruit, trying to understand whether people have genuine curiosity to learn outside of their roles. I interviewed uh, the former managing director of the ABC, Mark Scott, who we all know well, and he talked about this idea of hinterlands and, you know, just having or understanding that you have areas outside your work responsibilities you're interested in. It could be anything. It can be sport or it might be reading something or a hobby. But, you know, I bet you're curious about that. You're curious to learn. You can definitely embrace the power of questions. So questions instead of offering answers are a really incredibly important way to fuel curiosity because you're prompting and driving a culture where questions are used not with an accusatory tone but in a genuinely curious way. Uh, And then that comes with it, mastering the art of listening. Scott, you've got a model that can help us be more curious at work. Take me through it. Yeah, I love a good acronym. And it's so important because, you know, when I remember when I was running for the first time, I did not know where to start. Right? I wanted exercises and a regimen to help me move through this process. And the same is true for curiosity. I knew I couldn't just say, be curious, you know, <laughs> Australia, good luck. You know, and that's not enough, right? Off you go. Yeah, off you go. So I wanted to have, you know, a framework that people could remember and use in their daily life and at work. And so that model is called the DIVE model, D-I-V-E. And each letter stands for one of the core muscles of deep curiosity. So D stands for detach. How do you let go of your ABCs, your assumptions, biases, and certainty? Because especially in the world of work, where we reward answers way more than questions and where we find it really problematic for us to say, I don't know something, when in truth, the research shows that that actually makes you look more arrogant and makes you less likable when you're not able to be intellectually humble. By letting go of those assumptions, biases, uncertainty and detaching from them, it opens us up to deep curiosity. The I stands for intend which is how do you create the mindset and the setting for curiosity? So it takes some planning. What questions are you going to ask? You know, what is the space you're going to be in? So really imagining what that curiosity conversation is going to look like and where it takes place is so key. That's I for intend. V for value. How do you see the dignity of the people you're being curious with? So if you're just saying, ugh, like my boss is an animal and a savage, like I don't really care what they think, like I, you know, and you're dehumanizing them and you're disregarding them or 
I don't care what this intern thinks. Like, they're just an intern. Like, what do they know? They're, you know, they barely know anything. You're not going to want to be (laughs) deeply curious with this person because you're starting from a place of dehumanizing them and devaluing them. And the A stands for embrace. This one's particularly important because we just got through the collective trauma of COVID. You know, many of us have really hard moments that we're working through in life that, you know, weigh on us and can feel really heavy. And it's especially in these moments that are really, really tough and challenging times when we can turn towards ourselves and each other with deep curiosity to actually find strength to really, you know, seek wisdom and to seek answers that, you know, help propel us forward so we don't get paralyzed or stuck. And sometimes we get into this framework that our jobs are everything for us. But if we take a step back and we get curious and ask ourselves what's really important to us, you know, even outside of work and, you know, having that full understanding can even help us to show up in our work, you know, more fully with more presence, with more energy and motivation because we we understand why we're doing the things we're doing. Thanks to my guests, Professor Spencer Harrison, Scott Shigeoka, and Dr. Kirsten Ferguson. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. And no curious cats were harmed in this episode. It's produced by Zoe Ferguson and mixed by Brendan O'Neill. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.